If you could pull Chuck Swindoll aside and have a personal one-on-one chat over coffee, there might be a few questions you'd like to ask him in the privacy of that setting. Well, currently on Insight for Living, we're presenting a mini-series called Life Lessons Just for Men. In effect, we're having that imaginary chat together this week by drawing near for a sensitive and important conversation. Today's message is based on Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll hear Chuck read those verses in just a moment. The message began right after the congregation sang a worship song together, It Is Well With My Soul. You know the story of the song you just sang? Horatio Spafford, who wrote it, his name appears at the bottom of the song, you'll see there in your worship folder, was a businessman in Chicago. During a time of intense pressure for the family, uh, not long after the great Chicago fire, he sent his wife and four daughters to sea to travel to England with plans to join them later when business opportunity provided. On their way, the ship because of a terrible collision, sank. The four daughters perished at sea. The wife amazingly made it to England and wired back to her husband uh, that all four daughters had died at sea. He took the next ship to England, and when the captain of the ship told them they were at the place where their previous ship had sunk, he stood on the deck of the ship and wrote, When peace like a river attends my way and sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my thought, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say it is well with my soul. Gives new meaning, doesn't it, to uh, words. That's why we always say, pay attention to what you're singing. The word pictures often are drawn from the womb in which the song was created in the mind of the composer. Great husband, great father, uh, Horatio Spafford. Speaking of that, we want to read from uh, Ephesians chapter 5. If you brought a copy of the scriptures with you before we take the time to express in a tangible way our worship, through our offerings to God. Let me read for you Ephesians 5, verses 21. Yes, 21 to 33. uh, And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So ought husbands 
also to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. You're listening to Insight for Living. Study tools for the series called Life Lessons Just for Men can be found online at insight.org. And now the message from Chuck Swindoll. For men only, straight talk about your marriage. Have you noticed that valuable things take time? And often the more valuable they are, the more time they take uh, to maintain, to take care of, to appreciate. Cynthia and I recently returned from a very unusual trip for almost, uh, well, not 10 days, but between a week and 10 days. We were first in Turkey along the coastal area of Turkey, and then out to sea to several of the Greek islands. And we saw some awfully valuable things. While in Istanbul, for example, we visited the Topkapi Palace. And you'll remember from books you've read, or perhaps from your own trip there, it is full of of the most precious and sizable jewels and gems that the eye can behold. Garments are threaded with jewels, and, and crowns are, are there that once sat on the heads of, of uh, monarchs. I, I hurried Cynthia out of there uh, so that she wouldn't get any ideas. And, and we came next to museums, and then we, on our trip, not far from Kushatasi, uh, Turkey, we, we uh, went to Ephesus. Having been there before, it was a pleasure to look into the faces of people there for the first time. When your shoes walk where Paul's sandals once walked, and John's and Timothy's, you're never quite the same. And you're looking at things they saw, and you're sitting where they sat, the great theater at the busy intersection of the town or the city of Ephesus. Um, much of it destroyed by earthquakes and, and now being rebuilt. Uh, we were told only 10, 15% of the city has been found and rebuilt. And yet, what, what was there? These slabs of marble and these, some of them headless uh, sculptured statues of, of uh, great names and familiar people in those days it was just invaluable. All of it having taken so much time to build and to, and to sculpt. But perhaps the most uh, uh, impressive to, to me and to us as a group was a, a little small a shop not far from Kushavasi uh, that we visited where they make the, the famous uh, Turkish rugs, handmade rugs. 
If you have never seen uh, the artists who do this kind of work, your education is incomplete. It is, it is uh, almost beyond my ability to describe. Sitting on rather uncomfortable small stools is a, a row of, happened to be all women who were sitting there working their art. Uh, threads were chosen from uh, a stack of colored threads they had available to them. Uh, and as they looked at the pattern that was there on the loom, they would choose the thread and they would knot it quicker than you could follow it with your eye, push it down, pack it in place, and get another one and do another and yet another and yet another and yet another for weeks, for months. In some cases, when working with silk in the larger rugs, up to four years on the same piece of art, until they finish and hanging before you tight on this rack that they've been working, which has been rolling little by little through the months and years. Finally, when unrolled is this, is this incredible handmade rug. Put together by these remarkable people. We didn't know their language, so we couldn't talk with them. And uh, I, I thought, what? interesting conversations we could have if, if they talk. I mean, they just sit and work. Uh, I thought there's not a woman in America that would do, not another person I know anywhere who would even sit on a stool for a week to say nothing of working a rug for years. It's remarkable. Two things came to mind. First of all, uh, what remarkable people they are who do this kind of thing. I found myself wanting to just uh, stand up, the, just stand the woman up and just put my arms around her and in my own simple way say, thank you. But I didn't do that. Remarkable, remarkable people. The second, I thought, how essential the pattern. The pattern. Here is a, here is a little 8 by 10 picture of, of what is to be Put into this rug and enough of the right threads chosen of the right color in the right place and you wind up with a bird or a piece of pottery or a floral design or a geometric design that's all part of the pattern that is pictured. That You know, some of them have worked the rug so long they don't even need the pattern. So when it comes time for a beak on a bird, they get beak thread pull that down and they put that in there and they pack it into place and cut it off and enough and enough and enough and there's a there's the bird there it is amazing and i thought standing there this will preach this will preach god has given us the pattern to be followed he doesn't ask the opinion of the ages he doesn't ask what you think about it or what I think about it. He doesn't first check with culture or the Oval Office. He doesn't seek the interest of the media. He doesn't pursue the opinions of mighty warriors. He doesn't seek the counsel of, of the monarchs of the, of the world. He sets his pattern 
in place and he says, take the right threads at the right time for the right reason, weave them together into your life and as your life finally is woven as I have patterned it, it will be something that I can use for my glory for generations to come. Just follow the pattern. Now, we we are in the midst, turn to the pattern, Ephesians chapter 5. We are in the midst of a wonderful section uh, of Scripture that I have titled the most challenging of all relationships. Obviously, I have in mind the husband-wife relationship. There are many challenging relationships, none more than this. Why? Because it's the most exacting. It's the most constant. It's the most inescapable. And when done correctly, it requires of us patience and skill and determination and trust like no other relationship on the planet. And if it couldn't be done, he wouldn't give it to us in the pattern. Because it isn't often being done does not mean there's something wrong with the pattern. It means that somewhere in the process of selecting the threads, we got tired. Or we just chose any old thread will do, just stick something in there. Or everybody else is using those threads, I'm going to go there. And the pattern somehow has gotten confusing and twisted. The, the, dominant, the, the, the dominant color of this domestic rug is set forth in verse 21 in the simple words, be subject to. From a military word that has in mind falling in rank under another of a greater authority. Be subject to whom? One another. One another. You know what that means? It means exactly what the pattern says. You are to be subject to him. He is to be subject to her. We are to be subject to one another. To one another. There's no age. There's no sex. There's no level of maturity given. One of the characteristics in this magnificent tapestry being woven together is submission. And then he addresses first the threads related to the wife in verses 22, 23, and 24. We looked at that rather carefully. And and we listened carefully as the Lord instructed us from those verses as we carried out the direction of being subject to one another, in this case, wives to husbands. Did you notice something? I ducked out for two weeks after speaking to the wives about being subject to their husbands. Did you notice I went to Turkey? No mail. And I got on a boat. No faxes. I mean, I was as far away as I could get, leaving you with the pattern. You just have to look at it. You have to think it through. You have to accept it for what it says. If I said something it doesn't say, may God show me and I'll correct it when I see the, the, the need to do so. But I, I didn't make it easy, nor did I twist it to make it fit what I wanted it to say. It's not my pattern. It's the Lord's pattern. 
and uh, hirelings tell you what they want you to hear. Shepherds tell you what the shepherd wants us to hear. And as, a, as, an, as an under-shepherd, I spoke to wives, honestly and, and, and openly. Now I've come today, verse 25, to the husbands. I think it's interesting that the wives are addressed in verses 22, 23, and 24. When you come to husbands, it's 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32. I mean, there's a lot there for us, which ought to tell us something, men. There's a lot to being the head of the home. As a matter of fact, when we are the right kind of head, there's no problem with the wife being submissive. Unless she's very sick. And I mean that seriously. I have never in my almost 40 years of ministry witnessed a, a wife who was in rebellion and rejection of a husband when the leadership of the husband was as it should have been. I've never seen that, except in cases where the woman has, for whatever reason, become ill and out of touch with reality. So this is for husbands, and this is his pattern. These, these are his threads to follow. John R. W. Stott, in his book on Ephesians, writes this, and I agree with him. Whenever the husband's headship mirrors the headship of Christ, then the wife's submission to the protection and provision of his love, far from detracting her womanhood, will positively enrich it. A woman who is loved as she is to be loved by a husband, a woman who is led in the capacity of the Spirit's filling as she is meant to be led, will absolutely find her life enriched in a marriage. The dominant thread for the woman is respect for her husband, which is seen in verse 33. The dominant thread for the man is to love his wife. Interestingly, the wife is not commanded to love the husband. It's great if she does but she's not commanded to love her husband. We are commanded to love our wives. It's a command. It's a verb. It's an imperative. Coming right from the pen of Paul before the word husbands is dry in ink, the word love appears in verse 25. Husbands, love, love. Term used is an is a absolutely wonderful New Testament term. It's not the word for sexual intimacy. It's not the word for sexual activity, commonly revealed in the Greek language, eros, E-R-O-S. We got our word erotic from it. It's not the word. This is not even the word for affection, feeling affection and a closeness for, for her. That's the word philos. Philos. That's the word for brotherly affection or sisterly affection or the affection of a team for one another in the, who are members of the same team. That's affectionate love. That's two-way love. This is one-way love, agape love. Best defined, seeking the highest good of the other person. That's this word. 
Husbands, seek the highest good of your wife. Seek her highest good. And as I've said, it's commanding. It's a command. It's an imperative. Now, let me give you a little quiz to see if you are uh, fairly alert here. There are two analogies that the apostle uses to describe this love or to illustrate this love. Each one is introduced with the word as. Can you find them? When you're going to draw an analogy, this is like that. You use the word as and like. This is like that. These are as those are. Look at the two analogies. Verse 25, love her as Christ loved the church. That's the first one. Down in verse 28 is the second. Husbands ought also to love their own wives as, there's that word again, their own bodies. I've circled the two words as in my Bible. As Christ loved the church, that's verse 25, as the man takes care of or loves his own body. Go back to the analogy of the rug and my little handful of threads here. Choosing the threads that make up the tapestry called marriage, the apostle weaves together truths from the church and how Christ loves the church as examples of how husbands love their wives. And then he goes to the man himself and he says, as you nurture or take care of your own bodies in the same way you nurture and take care of your wife, as the church, as your own body. Let's look at those two. Let's study the pattern. Let's see what this marriage rug looks like. First, verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves loved the church. I want to give you four words. If you like taking notes, put them in the margin of your Bible, or if you want to write them on a sheet and review them later, great. If you don't want to write anything down, that's fine. Just get the four words. Sacrifice, sanctify, forgive, honor. Where do I get those words? Well, from verses 25 through 27, all four words either appear or they are implied. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And how did he love the church? He gave himself up for her. That's the word sacrifice. Sacrifice. When my love is like the love of Christ for the church, I give up things for my wife. Uh, Webster says to sacrifice is to, is to offer up oneself for something more precious. To surrender, to release, to do without for the benefit of another. Sacrifice is woven all the way through religions. There's hardly a religion you could name that doesn't involve sacrifice. Christianity engages uh, in uh, the subject of sacrifice. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Does it say that in Romans 12? One, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Except this isn't to Christ. This is to set apart oneself for the wife's benefit. 
good question to ask ourselves, husbands, is this. Do I love her enough to die for her? If I'm to love my wife as Christ loved the church, I'm to be willing to give myself up for her. For men only, straight talk about your marriage. That's the title of Chuck Swindoll's message today. It's just one in the brief miniseries, Life Lessons Just for Men. And you're listening to Insight for Living. Today's program represents just one small slice of the larger four-part series from Chuck Swindoll. And you can order all four CDs or download the audio files. Look for the series called Life Lessons Just for Men when you go online to insight.org. Or call this phone number, 1-800-772-8888. And remember, you can take Chuck's teaching with you wherever you go by downloading our convenient mobile app. Thousands of listeners have already done so, and we invite you to take advantage of this free resource. You can download the mobile app by going to insight.org app. Insight for Living is listener-supported, and we greatly appreciate your financial support. Your donation is what allows us to provide Chuck's teaching. As you heard Chuck speak candidly to the men in our audience, you can be sure this message was well-received, not only right here, but around the world as well. To give a contribution today, call 1-800-772-8888 or write Insight for Living, Box 269000, Plano, Texas, 75026. And online, go to insight.org. More from Chuck Swindoll's sensitive message for men only, straight talk about your marriage on the next Insight for Living. <music> 